Before I ask you to rise, I will ask you to turn into your Bibles in Mark chapter 10. And one of the joys and one of the struggles with preaching God's Word throughout a book is that, um, and I said a little bit about this last week, that there's, there's really no opportunity to dance around certain subjects. So last week we had the, the really overwhelming joy of preaching about sin and hell. And then this week and the very next week, we have the overwhelming joy of preaching on divorce. But in God's wisdom and in His sovereignty, He does speak into both of these situations. And it's my joy and my privilege to speak on them this morning. It's also my struggle, right? I recognize that these are sensitive topics. These are hard things to wrestle with. And it's not always the most comfortable But it's in God's Word. And so we deal with what God has to say. We wrestle with it. And we attempt to find God's truth in it. But just as a bit of context, again, that Mark is showing us and teaching us through Jesus' words, what does it look like to live in this kingdom of God? What does it look like to be moved from the world that you have been in for so many years and to be transferred or moved into this new kingdom? To be moved by the King into His kingdom. And so he's saying, in the kingdom of God, this is marriage. This is what this looks like. This is what divorce looks like, or doesn't look like. And so Jesus is not shy about this. So then, neither should we. So let's rise, and let's hear the reading of God's word from Mark 10, 1 to 12. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, And the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. The reading of God's word. Let's pray. The grass will wither and the flowers will fade, but the word of God remains firm and true forever. Lord, guide your words. Use the words of this, your humble servant, to mold and shape lives, not by my power, but through my weakness. May your strength be made known. Holy Spirit, mold and shape lives today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I like beginnings. I always have. I used to like the beginning of summer as a young boy, and ironically enough, I used to like the first day of school. All the same. And two can be true. I like the beginning of Christmas break. I like the beginning of spring break. I like the beginning of a basketball game when the official tosses the ball in the air, and there's so much excitement, and you're just wondering, how is the game going to unfold? I like the beginning of action movies. See James Bond. When there's a super fast action 
chasing, whether it's in a car or a boat or they're running or a motorcycle that's going over the rooftops of buildings. I like the beginning of action movies. It pulls you in. I like the beginning of a worship service because the Lord Himself calls me out of my crazy week into His presence. And there's anticipation of what the Lord is going to say to us and how He's going to move in our hearts and in our lives. I think we all like beginnings, don't we? Beginnings are fun. They're exciting. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. After five days of creation, the Lord says, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created them male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And we know the rest of that story, don't we? This is a good beginning. God says, actually, it's very good. A beginning that states the reality of God's design. And as we enter into this text of Mark chapter 10, and yes, also of Genesis, and even touching a bit on Deuteronomy 24, I must say at the beginning of this message this morning that we need to be open and honest with all of you and with each other. We need to lay some things out that are just underneath the surface as we talk about marriage and divorce. This topic of divorce is generally handled by the church, I think, in one or two different ways. One way, perhaps, is that the church never really deals with it. They just push it aside and say, well, that's just the world that we live in. And we don't really want to wrestle with it. The other side of that coin is we're going to take a really hard stance on divorce and say that it's only a sin and, and we beat people down with judgment and manipulation. The challenge then is somewhere in the middle, right? How do we take the truths of scriptural understanding and apply them to specific situations? For that's what we need to do, that I, that I need to do as a pastor, and we as elders need to do in every single situation. We can't just automatically say it's in one or two camps, but we have to say, what is the truth of this particular situation? What is it the Lord teaches about marriage and divorce and apply it to each couple? And so therefore, it is the responsibility of the church and the pastor who is preaching it to not shy away from the truth of what the Bible says. But also to handle it with care and sensitivity and wisdom. Therefore, I want to acknowledge again the sensitivity of this topic. And I would dare say that each and every person in this room in some way, shape, or form, has been touched by divorce. There are some where divorce is your personal story. There are some whose parents have divorced. Friends have divorced. Cousins, aunts, uncles, siblings, colleagues, None of us are isolated from the impact of divorce. So as your pastor, no matter the intensity of which this is your story, I want to say I'm sorry. I 
And yet many of you are asking, how is Ryan going to address my story this morning? For my story is unique and my story is painful and my story hurts. What's he going to say that will impact me this morning? So let me say, it will be impossible for me to address every single story this morning. I know many and perhaps most, if not all of your stories on some level. We just don't have the time to touch on every single element of that story. Every story has a nuance, doesn't it? Every story has a different nuance of how divorce has impacted us. But let me say this morning that it's my intention to put before us what the Lord says. Not what Ryan says or what the church may say. What does the Lord say about divorce? So this morning I want to set out on, just to give you a a map of where we're headed, I do want to exegete some of this text. And we're going to do that. But at the conclusion, I want to address three groups within our church, and any church for that matter. So we're going to spend a bit of time on the text, and then at the conclusion, I want to just spend some time on, on three different sections of a congregation, which I think and I hope and my prayer is that I will be able to touch on many of your stories on some level. And again, I want to recognize the sensitivity of all of this. And with that in mind, I I want to just take the time now to just pray another prayer as we enter into this. So just pray with me one more time. Holy Spirit, you know each person here. You know the hearts and lives and emotions of every person gathered. And you know them so much better than I do. I pray that you comfort those that need comfort as we lean into your word. I pray that you would heal those who have deep wounds. I pray that you would convict the hearts that need convicting this morning. I pray that you would wrap the pinions of your wings around the dear people here today, your people, to point them back to your truth. Amen. In the beginning, it was God's intent that a marriage be between one man and one woman. This is marriage. There's no getting around this fact. God's intent in Genesis 1 and 2 was one man and one woman will be married. And looking not only at Genesis 1, as we did a few moments ago, but also looking at Mark chapter 10, 7 to 9, it's clear that the intention of the Lord in the beginning was that marriage was to be a unique bond, a unique bond between a man and a woman. It was the intention of the Lord that the forming of the marriage was now the most important relationship outside of the relationship that these individuals and a couple had with the Lord. So this union, this relationship between a man and a woman, this is the most important relationship that two people could have outside of the relationship with the Lord. This new relationship, this marriage, that when a man leaves his family and a woman leaves her family and they join one family, they now create a new family. And they are united to one another by the Lord. The Lord has brought them into this relationship. The Lord has founded it. He is the architect. He is the builder. He's the general contractor. He is the one that builds this union together. 
This relationship is more important than any other friend's relationship. It's more important than a relationship with their parents, their cousins, their aunts, their uncles, and yes, even their own children. In the beginning, it was God's intent that marriage would last forever. This is what Jesus says to us in Mark chapter 10. What the Lord brings together, let no one tear apart. And that no one means no one. That means not even the man or the woman. But then a seismic shift happens, doesn't it? Genesis chapter 3 happens. And everything that was in the beginning was now broken. The pieces somehow don't fit together all the time. Marriage is now something different. In Mark 10, we're told that the Pharisees came to Jesus trying to trap Jesus in his understanding of divorce. You see, because on this side of Genesis 3, divorce is now a reality. The intent that the Lord had, not only for all of creation, but for all of marriage, has been marred, warped, broken in our sin. Marriages are broken. The intentions of God have been rebelled against. And so the Pharisees are asking Jesus his opinion about divorce. But let's just have some context about this particular scene. So Jesus, as you remember, he he traveled out of Judea a few chapters ago and went up north into the Gentile region. And now after the transfiguration, he has turned and he's gone down the mountain, back to the cross, and he's back into the region of Judea. And as he enters back into the region of Judea, all of a sudden the crowds come back And the Pharisees and the scribes all come back and the Pharisees come up to him and they try to trap him. They try to trap him in this scene and this questions. And what they're trying to trap him in is really two different camps. For in the first century Judaism, Judaism, the scene was remarkably similar to, to our context as well. Our context... I don't have the specific numbers, and honestly, I didn't research them, but we all, as we've said, are impacted by divorce. It's not a one-off kind of thing. It's frequent. It happens. And the first century was remarkably similar. It was a commonplace thing, perhaps even more common, because there were two different camps. Two different camps about the understanding of what divorce, or when divorce was allowed. The two camps were these. The first was a a more liberal stance from a respected priest by the name of Hillel, which said, basically, you can get a divorce over just about anything. If you don't like, if a man doesn't like the way that his wife cooked breakfast, he could divorce her. That was one camp. The other side, also a more more conservative side, also by a respected priest, I'm going to not say his name correct, but Shemiah, which took a stricter approach, said that divorce was only acceptable in adultery situations. But perhaps the motives were a bit more cynical from the Pharisees. For as you may or may not know, John the Baptist, a few chapters ago, was murdered by Herod. Do you remember why John the Baptist was murdered by Herod? It wasn't necessarily for speaking about Jesus or about the kingdom of God. No, John the Baptist from his jail cell was preaching and talking against Herod and his divorce. Herod didn't like that, so Herod had John killed because John 
was saying that Herod should not have divorced his wife. So if the Pharisees come before Jesus and, and, and he, they ask him this question, when can someone get divorced? And they don't like his answer. He could go, they could go to Herod and say, Herod, Jesus is doing the same thing as John did. You need to have him killed. Or another way we could look at it is perhaps they just wanted to trap him and to see what he would say. The Pharisees were essentially asking Jesus, which side of the aisle are you on? Or, Jesus, when can a marriage vow be broken? The Pharisees wanted to know the difficult outcome. Jesus said, it should never be broken. Let no one break it apart, what the Lord has brought together. But Jesus also acknowledges that divorce at its heart is rooted in sin. All divorce is a result of sin. Hear what I'm saying. All divorce is a result of sin. However, not all divorce is sin. Tracking with me? All divorce is a result of sin, but not all divorce is sin. How do I know that? How can I say that? Let's go back to the story of Mary and Joseph. Do you remember? Joseph and Mary are betrothed. They're engaged. In those days, that was just as good as being married. They just didn't have the actual ceremony and, and uh, the, they just didn't have the ceremony of the wedding yet. But for all intents and purposes, Joseph and Mary were married. And they have not had sexual relations as of this point, but here Mary says, I'm pregnant. And so Joseph, trying to be an upstanding man, trying to do the right thing, and and also wrestling with these two camps, well, either way, I have the right and the ability to divorce this woman. So do you remember it says, well, he tried to do it quietly, and he tried to be respectful of her, but then the Holy Spirit came and said, no, you need to marry this woman, for she was not adulterous. But there's also another story, if you remember. If you were to go back to Jeremiah chapter 3, and the prophet Jeremiah speaking the words of the Lord to the people, the Lord is exasperated with His people once again. They have sought out after gods. They They have done horrible, horrible, horrible things against each other and other people. And they have, they have lusted after these other gods. And Jeremiah even says that it's the whoring of God's people after other gods. In other words, their adulterous activities against God. And Jeremiah says in chapter 3 that the Lord divorced His people and He sent them into exile into Babylon. So the Lord has the ability to divorce even His own people. So not all divorce is sinful. Just a bit of a parenthesis. The Lord still pursued His people and saved them, and redeemed them, and restored them to Himself out of Babylon, out of exile. There are times when divorce is permitted. And there are nuances to each and every situation. But what constitutes a permissible divorce? If we were to look at this account that we find in Mark chapter 10, we also see that the other Gospel writers told a similar story. They, they told their opinion, their viewpoint of the same story. I've said this many times now from this pulpit. Mark gives us just a little bit of detail. He doesn't belabor the point. He just gives us what he 
wants to give us. Matthew, however, gives us a bit more detail. And, and Matthew adds on to the story a little bit in chapter 19. And we see that Matthew says that Jesus was having the same conversation with the Pharisees. And Jesus says that this is all, the, the, the permissible divorce is one of sexual immorality. This is a permissible action. Adultery, sexual immorality. This is so because there's something about the marriage relationship in the kingdom of God that is special. We also can say that obviously, right, that in the Ten Commandments, Jesus says that adultery is one of the Ten Commandments. You shall not commit adultery. But then Jesus gives it a little bit more specific and He says sexual immorality. But why, do you, why is it that Jesus says specifically this phrase? What is it about this particular element of this sin? Sex is a God-created gift that He gives to a man and a woman in a marriage relationship. When a man and a woman enter into a marriage, they're essentially signing a contract with one another, with the Lord, and with all the people gathered. That contract, you can say these however this may be. That this is this contract. I promise to be yours forever. And the act of sexual intercourse signs that contract on the bottom line. It says, you are mine and I am yours. And there is something beautiful in that. There's something wonderful in that relationship that's designed for that man and woman. That contract is one that states in the vows before the Lord and His people that the man has promised to the woman and the woman has promised to the man. And so then, throughout the relationship, the ongoing act of this sexual relationship repeats the covenant and it binds the covenant over and over again. So therefore, this act is not just simply something to satisfy phys physical needs or desires. It's not to be treated as an obligation or a duty, but rather the renewing and the rewriting of the covenant between a man and a woman. Therefore, when one decides to sign on the bottom line of another contract, sexual immorality, for all intents and purposes, it destroys the original contract. Before I go on, again, I understand the sensitivity of this, and I just ask you to bear with me. Jesus here does not give us more information on other rationale for biblical divorce. I'm not here to preach a sermon on what's, what are all of the biblical rationales for divorce. There have been tomes of pages written on biblical support for divorce. Not my intent. I touched on this particular rationale because that's what's here in these verses that we have read. And in this account, this is what Jesus is talking about here in this particular story. Perhaps if we were to preach on 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we would preach on another rationale of abandonment or other things, abuse of divorce. Right? But here for this time, this was where we are landing. 
And so there are so many things that we can pull out of this text this morning. But again, there have been books and books and books written on biblical marriage and biblical understanding of divorce. I will never be able to fully exegete the, the literature that's out there. So I wanted to just touch on what Scripture is telling us here this morning. I wanted to touch on the intention of what the Lord had for marriage. I wanted to give us at least one element that would say, okay, this is biblical rationale as to why someone would be able to get divorced. That's not the only reason, hear me say. It's not the only reason, it's just what Jesus is talking about. So I hope that you have heard that part of it, but now I want to take a little bit step back away from the text, and, and I, I, I really just want to be your pastor here this morning. I, 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 want, I want you to hear my heart, and I, and I understand the sensitivity of this all. So I want to address, as I said, three different subsets of people in the congregation this morning. Those three people are the following. First, I want to talk to the married couples that are there, that are here, whether in this room or online. If you are in a healthy marriage, praise the Lord. Praise God every day. Thank the Lord for your spouse. Praise the Lord for your marriage. When you pray and you give thanks to the Lord, praise Him for this joy. Even still, I urge you to not take your spouse for granted. Spend time with your spouse. Talk with your spouse. Pray for and with your spouse. If you have children, (laughs) for the love that is all and good and right in the world, as much as we love our children, take some time away from your kids. Whether that's date hour, date night, date weekend, or date week, take time for your spouse. It's good for your souls. It's good for your relationship to date one another. Reconnect. Understand why, again, you love your spouse the way that you do. Give thanks for healthy marriages. If you are married and you are contemplating divorce, talk to somebody. Do not let the bitterness and anger fester. If your spouse has not committed adultery, if your spouse is not abusing you or woefully neglecting you, consider the honor and the glory of the Lord as you consider and contemplate what it looks like to divorce. The Lord does not look kindly on the one that understands and knows God's law and then to willfully go against that law. But if you do not want to consider the Lord and His law and in His wrath, consider the reverberation of what that decision will do for yourself, for your spouse, for your children, for your friends. You have signed a contract with the Lord. 
with your spouse and with God's people. If you are married and you are in a relationship that is hurtful, abusive, dangerous, either physically or emotionally, I want you to hear from the depths of my heart, and I believe every elder in this church, there is a safe place for you. There is a safe place for you. You do not have to live in fear or silence. There is a safe place here. If you are married and you have been remarried, and you look upon your prior marriage and you see that there are biblical grounds for that divorce, there is mercy for you. Rest well and be thankful for the marriage that God's given you. If you're married and you look back on your marriage and you realize that perhaps the marriage was not divorced on biblical terms, there is grace for you. There is grace at the cross. There is mercy at the cross. And you have not committed the unforgivable sin. These are hard things. These are not light topics. But grace is not light either. For if the Lord God himself, if the Lord Jesus could speak into the best friend, his best friend's tomb and say, Lazarus, come out. Or Jesus himself would rise from the dead. There is grace for you. And there is mercy for you. If you are single this morning and marriage is something that you would desire to pursue, the first thing I would like to say for you to do is to pray. Pray that the Lord will provide you with a spouse. Pray for your future spouse that they would love Jesus first and foremost and and you second. Pray for health and companionship and that the Lord would be the center of your relationship. But I also am very well aware that there are those even in this room who are single and have prayed that prayer. And the Lord has determined that marriage is not His will for your life. Again, I don't know the will of the Lord and I would once again say I'm sorry. But the same applies. I would encourage you to pray. Pray that you would find peace in His love and care for you. Pray that you would find comfort in the body of Christ. And He would give you a measure of faith and perseverance. Pray that the Lord will hold to His promise that He will never leave you or forsake you. And that you would never be alone. And third, that He would be your strong tower. He would be your cornerstone and your faith. The third group for those who are divorced. If you have been hurt, 
again, let me just speak from the bottom of my heart, from the depths of my soul. How sorry I am for you. If you are a victim of sin, I am sorry. Psalm 91, 1-4 speaks so closely to your hearts and to your hurts this morning. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions. And under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. It is indeed under his wings where you find refuge. If you are divorced and as you contemplate again your broken marriage, that you realize that, again, that your divorce was not with scriptural foundation, pray. But if the Lord, again, like I said, if the Lord can raise Lazarus from the dead, so too he can restore you and bring you back into his presence. This, again, is not a light thing. But the grace of the Lord shines in all of its glory upon our brokenness. There is mercy at the foot of the cross. For it's there where all of us, no matter which of these groups we find ourselves, it's there where we must run. All of us, all of us, must find ourselves beholding the Savior who took the sins of the world upon his shoulders in order that he might be our bridegroom. For every marriage and every single life is under the influence of this broken beginning. So no matter where we find ourselves, our true and right identity is not wrapped in our spouse, our lack thereof, our divorce, or our marriage. It's not wrapped in our future or our past. Our identity is in the union with Christ. For just as God has brought together the covenant between a man and a woman, so too he ushers the bride of Christ to the wedding feast to be united with him forever. For greater love has no one than to lay down his life for another. And the bridegroom of the bride has laid down his life for you. And so it's there in his grace and mercy that he signed the contract with his blood the contract that says he will never leave you or forsake you. It's the contract that says you are forgiven and that you have a hope and you have an identity and you have union in Christ. And so, oh, what glory it will be to behold the King of glory, to behold the groom of the bride of Christ. 
the prophet Isaiah says these words. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Friends, no matter where you find yourself this morning, hear that Jesus pursues you. Hear that He understands your hurts and your pains. Hear that He celebrates you with you and your healthy marriage. Hear that He covers you with the pinions of His wings and He draws you close. He draws you close because He has given Himself for you. This is the grace of Jesus Christ. This is the reality of our union with Christ. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and a bride adorns herself with jewels. We long for the day for the coming of the groom to take his bride. But until that day, may we rest in his comfort in His grace. Amen. Dear Jesus, comfort those who need comforting. Draw those who need to be drawn by the pinion of Your wings. Heal those who need healing. Restore those who need restoring. Convict those who need convicting. But Lord, we ask that your grace would flow. And that Holy Spirit, you would be the balm to our souls. And you would apply the contract of grace written in the blood of Christ to our souls and to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.